we're going to start with a passage from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. But before we do that, let's say a little prayer. God, as we turn to your word, I pray we could leave behind all the chaos that's in our hearts, in our minds, all the studies and all the stuff we have left to finish up, all the pressures of school. And I pray that you would quiet those things so that we could really hear what you have to say to us. God, only you know what these students need to hear. So I pray that you would help me just speak to their hearts and help them to learn and grow. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's read from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of God. Whoa. Okay, so like in the Presbyterian church, we do this stuff called liturgy. And it's like if I say something like normally, I'll say something like that's the word of God. And then everybody there just knows instinctively. What do they say? Presbyterian kids. Thanks be to God. So let's try it together. I'll say this is the word of God. And you guys would say thanks be to God. Do you want to try it again? All right. So I'm going to say the last sentence. No, I won't. I'll just say this is the word of God. All right, that was weasley and wimpy, but I'll I'll let it go this time. So when Christian wrote me an email to ask if I would come and preach today, I was like, does he know who I am? Uh, I was a student at Sterling, and he didn't have really the best reputation while I was here. In In fact, as a freshman, I got written up so many times for noise violations, I really thought they were going to take away my stereo system. I didn't understand the concept of quiet hours. I lived on McCurry West, and I felt like everybody should be subjected to the B-52s. I mean, it really got me going. It helped me dance and get my studying done. And I think everybody on that wing really despised me. But I got written up a lot, you know. And after so many write-ups, you get in trouble, like you have to pay money or something. It was awful. But you know what I thought? I'm not even going to mention it because it's pretty cool that I get to come back here and preach at chapel. 
Now, when I was a student, we had Wednesday morning chapel, and it was a really big deal. And so my friend Teddy, Teddy was a real rebel. She was a senior when I was a freshman. She was awesome, right? And so we decided we were going to always dress up and look awesome for chapel. And so I remember this one really windy day. I was uh, dressed in black tights, and I had, like, some combat boots on, and I had a little mini skirt, and it was pleated, and I was all, like, tough, you know, I had on my motorcycle jacket, and I was going to be super cool, and I was like, I'm late to chapel, but I got to go to the bathroom, so I went into the bathroom, and then I come in, and it was that quiet moment, very holy time, Wednesday morning, all the professors are there, and everybody's already seated, but it didn't bother me to be late, so I just pranced right down the center aisle, waving at everybody, hey, 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 and then I, like, I sat down right on the front row, and, like, the whole time I'm standing up, sitting down, we had a lot of liturgy and Wednesday chapel, I didn't, you know, think a thing of it, but this happens to this day be one of my most embarrassing moments, right? So what happened is chapel got over, and I, like, book it out that door, and I'm just walking to the science building, and I'm all like, uh, this is great. And then I'm, like, feeling this draft. I'm like, what is, what's going on? I'm, like, totally feeling a draft. I reach around, and my skirt was tucked in my underwear. And I was all like, holy cow, how do you ever get out of this? So I, like, I pull it out, and then, like, the whole campus is headed to to like the student commons area and and I turn around and I'm like could nobody have told me my skirt was tucked into my underwear I was mortified nobody bothered to tell me but I think everybody probably saw it since I was the last one in I you know I had a lot of confidence as a freshman I really felt like I was kind of better than this place right because here I am from big old Wichita, Kansas, right? So I'm big stuff. And I come to this tiny little campus and I'm all like, I'm going to take the world. I'm so awesome, right? So I didn't have a lot of humility. And I, you know, so it didn't really bother me that I had my skirt tucked into my tights because I thought it was just another chance to, you know, strut my stuff or whatever. I am embarrassed about it now though. Can you guys imagine that happening? Yeah, you can see it happening, right? You remember, I bet you do, yeah. <laughs> he probably was like, I'm not telling. <laughs> so I, I, like I said, I didn't have a lot of humility. And, and, you know, I went through my freshman year and my sophomore year, and I was like, man, I love being here at Sterling, and I love the stage performances, but, dude, I got to get out of this little town. It's cramping my style. So I decided I was going to move to New York City, and I did. I went to acting school, and I got to acting school, and it was like the weirdest thing I had ever done in my life. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen those movies where there's actors, and they're all like seated in chairs, and they're like going, like they're learning how to be all relaxed, and it's called method acting. I had to do that for like eight hours a day, and I'd be like, And I'd look around, and these people are, like, totally into this relaxing thing. It was pretty freaky. And you know what I started to miss? What I missed was, like, in New York City, if you're walking around and you wave at people and you smile, like I just always did at Sterling, and people smiled back or pointed at at the skirt tucked in your underwear. Like, 
they didn't do that. They started to follow you because they were creepy and they'd never met anyone who would smile and wave at them. And they thought maybe I was crazy. So that it was like weird. I had to learn to be tough in a different way. So I had to put my face down and I had to learn how to walk and act like nothing affected me. So I couldn't even be, you know, friendly and fun. And it kind of really started to wear on me. Well, pretty soon I decided I'm not going to I'm not going to keep going to acting school. I got a great job at Macy's where I got to dress up and play in makeup all day long. It was awesome. And so I just started working at Macy's. And about April or May, I got this call from Sterling College. And it was a resident life department. And they said, Paula, we are looking for resident assistants for next year. And we thought you might be interested. And I was like, wait, this, this Paula Daniel... You know, I had a little problem with noise ordinances when I was at Sterling. Oh, no, we think you'd be great. Would you be interested in coming back and maybe applying for that job? I was like, what? I'm like, no, I don't think so, but thanks anyway. You know, a week later, I get a call from Diane Kling. Do you guys know who Diane Kling is? She was the head of theater here with her husband, Gordon, for a long time. And she said, Paula, I'm trying to plan this the season for next year, and I heard you might be coming back, so uh, let me know. Are you going to come back next year? Because it would be so awesome. We're going to do this play, and you'd be so perfect. I'm really thinking how awesome it would be for you to be back. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, Diane, I'm, I'm not coming back. Pretty soon I get another call, and it's from my friend James, James Steinbacher, right? That was not my name yet. And James was just my best friend. He was my best friend. We had so much fun at Sterling. And he had a band. And he was all like, Paula, our band is so cool, but it would only be cool, super cool, if you came and you did vocals for us. And I'm like, what the heck? And I'm like, does that mean I have to go back to Sterling? And he said, yeah, come back to Sterling, man. It'd be so fun. So I'm like, "Mm, this is so weird. Well, it just happened like... Uh, event after events started happening, and I started kind of missing this place. And I'm like, what? Here I am living out my dream in New York City. And I actually started praying about it. And I'm like, God, just tell me what to do because I'm confused. I really, I really thought I, I didn't want to be at Sterling. Why would I want to come back there? And then, you know, my heart started to change. And I talked to my parents about it. And they were like, yeah, come back. It's so exciting. Come on back. You're welcome. And Uh, finish up your education. They were so happy. So you know what I did? I packed up my bags and I came back to Sterling that fall and I was super excited. And we had this awesome musical auditions for musical called Into the Woods. And it was the first time Sterling had done that show. And uh, that day though, of my auditions, I got this call from my mother and my mother said, Paula, your father is green. And he's in the hospital, and we're just going to have a little surgery today. And I was like, he's green? I mean, what the heck? Right? Who says your father is green? And she was like super chilled out about it. So I thought, maybe I should come. And she's like, yeah, probably you should come. So I drove home, and there, like right before I saw him, right as he was going in for surgery, he was green. And I was like, that is weird, man. Something is really wrong with my dad. Well, it ended up there was something really wrong with my dad. He had pancreatic cancer, and that's a really bad kind of cancer to have. I had never heard of it. I didn't even know what a pancreas was. So I thought it was like a kind of bread or something. 
but it's like an organ in your body. And if they find the cancer early, it's all good. Like they, they have things they can do now to fix it. But when they found my dad's, it had metastasized to his liver and his liver had shut down. So he really was green because he was very, very sick. And it kind of occurred to me right then and there, I guess, I guess maybe it's a good thing I'm in Sterling. Because I have here in this place, I have a family that supports me and prays for me. All my professors who were kind enough to work with me for that whole year that my dad was sick. He did decide he was going to fight it. He had chemotherapy and, and just it didn't work. And within nine months at the end of the year, he was dead. And it was pretty awful for me. It was very sad and I just thought my world had ended. But I want to tell you this story because I really felt like at that point I was self-sufficient. I thought I had everything under control, that I knew who I was and that I was strong and that I could could do anything I wanted to. But losing my dad really kind of shook my world. It was awful. And worse than that was I just wasn't really sure about my faith anymore. I just was really upset about things. I really didn't want people's help, but I was in a place where I really, really needed help, right? And it is hard to accept help when you're a confident young person and you feel like you know where you're going and that you have the world at your hand. You feel like you can do anything to suddenly feel vulnerable is a terrible thing. Now, this passage that we have from Romans is awesome. I want you to look at this first part of it again. It says, um, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And I'd heard this passage thousands of times when I was your age. It's a great passage, but I don't know that I understood what it meant to have love poured into your heart because my heart was already pretty full of stuff like pride, right? My heart was pretty full of um, pretty selfish desires. I didn't have a lot of room for God to pour love into my heart. And I certainly did not understand this idea of grace. You know, like I understood we were all given grace and we were forgiven of our sins, but I never understood how much I needed it. Grace is like a gift, right? God's grace is a gift that is given to you with no strings attached. It's given to you free of any expectations. Grace is just God's love being poured into your heart so that you are free to be the person you are. You don't have to live with regrets. You don't have to live having sin kind of follow you around like a shadow. But I had never really understood what it meant to be so empty that I had no choice but to accept that gift until the fall semester of my senior year. And this was after my father had died, and I was feeling, you know, a little hope. Here I am, my final year of college. I'm going to get to do my student teaching, and then I can just, you know, start fresh, and it'll be awesome. 
And I had a really great boyfriend named James Steinbacher, by the way. And that was great. He was very helpful, but he had already graduated. And what happened was my, when my father died, he had been a personal business owner. And all of his money was sort of tied up in instrumentation. He was a land surveyor, so he had very expensive equipment and drafting tools. And there wasn't a lot of cash, if you know what I mean. So... When I got to school, I went to get my uh, bill, and I, we owed like $3,500 or something. And I called my mom, and I'm like, hey, mom, uh, there's a huge amount of money due, and uh, can you send a check? And she said, oh, Paula, I am so sorry. We have no money. I mean, we have no money. Until your dad's insurance policy comes through, which is going to take several months, it was in some kind of legal mix-up, we have nothing And I am so sorry, but you're going to have to pack your bags and you're going to have to come home. Just pack up your dorm room. Do you need help? I'll send your sister. Maybe she can help you pack up your room and go home. And I was like, what? You are kidding me. I came all the way back here. I went through a, a horrible year when my father was dying. And I felt like the only grasp I had on God was that God had provided me this environment to try and work out my grief. This environment to try and figure out who I was. This environment to figure out God's love. And now I'm going to have to pack up my dorm room and go home. I was so freaked out. I was angry and I was mad and I was crying. And in those days we didn't have cell phones. So I actually had had to call from a payphone. Do you know what that is? <laughs> yeah. So I called from a payphone and then I'm like, man, this stinks. This is the worst thing ever. And then I was like, now I have to go tell the registrar that I'm withdrawing. And I'm going to have to go tell financial aid that I can't pay. And this is going to be the most embarrassing thing that has ever happened to me in my life. So I walk utterly dejected because, like, first of all, my eyes were, like, swollen shut, right? And I had snot dripping. And I'm, like, trying to be dignified because I had an ounce of pride left, right? If nothing else, an ounce of pride. And I remember I walked into Fran's office. She's not around anymore. She, she did, she's not the registrar. But she was great. And I, I just went in and I was like, Fran, I'm going to have with, to, to withdraw. And she said, why? why? And I said, I, I couldn't even say. And I was like, I just... And she's like, why don't you go talk to financial aid? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so awful. I was like, okay, but just, just start the process. And I walk over to the financial aid office, and I said, I'm, I can't pay this year. I'm going to have to quit school. There's just no way. We just don't have the money. And the woman in the financial aid office said, what, what are you talking about, Paula? And I said, I cannot pay. My, listen, my dad died. He didn't, we didn't have any cash, and now we're waiting for insurance money to come through, so maybe next year I'll come back or something, but I can't finish my senior year. And she did a little research. She wasn't really typing on a computer, to be real honest. I was back in the file drawer days, so she was, like, going through the files, and she pulled it out, and she said, oh, no, your balance is paid in full. I said, I just... I just got a bill, and it was, like, super expensive. And I called my mom, and she's like, oh, no, Paula, your bill has been paid. You are free and clear to finish your senior year. I said, how can that be? 
She said, well, maybe somebody knew that you needed some help. Maybe your bill has been paid. And I was like, well, couldn't I, maybe this could be wrong. Could you be wrong? And she said, no, look. And there it said zero. I owed nothing. Nothing. And I said, could you tell me who did this? And she said, why would you need to know? It's settled. It's done. And I think the people who paid for it wouldn't want you to know. And I was really, like, freaked out because at any other point in my life, I would never have been able to accept that kind of help because I was already so full of pride, right? I was so full of confidence and pride and self-sufficiency that I never would have allowed anyone to do something like that for me. But at that point in my life when I had nothing else left, when I was so empty, I had to take it. And that moment changed my life. Because I don't know about you, but I was always taught that when somebody does something nice for you, you say thank you. Right? And it feels weird if somebody has given you such a huge gift that you can't turn around and say thank you. You know, you've really saved my life. I had no one to thank. And so at that moment in my life, I said, You know what? I am going to live every moment from now filled with gratitude for what's been given me. I'm going to make every choice and everything I do, I'm going to make that a reflection of somebody's confidence in me that they would pay off my huge debt. It was a very difficult moment for me. But that's how I decided I was going to return thanks for what had been given for me. Now, students, I don't know where you are in your faith life. I don't know if your heart has ever allowed God to pour love into it. I don't know if you've ever been able to take that gift of grace that has no strings attached. And I don't know if you've been able to hold on to that and accept it and live a completely forgiven life, but this is your chance here at this environment where people are going to love you and support you and teach you and guide you along the way. You know, for something to get love poured into it, it's It's going to have to be empty. And I don't know about you, but sometimes our hearts become so filled with the ickiness of sin and ickiness of regret and hate and hope that you maybe someday you'll get revenge for something awful that's been done for you. Or maybe someday you'll be able to, you know, do get back at someone. Maybe that's what's clogging your heart. And maybe what's in your heart is regret or resentment or anger. Well, if your heart is so full of that crap, you are never going to let God pour the good stuff in. So I wanted to tell you today that this is what these words mean. These words mean that there is nothing so gross and icky in your life that if you dump it out, it'll ever come back. If you pour that out, God is going to replace all the yucky stuff with love. And you will finally be able to accept that grace. My prayer for you is that you can do that, that you can let go of that. 
Because you are the only one that can control that. God wants so badly to give you a gift. And if your hands are already full or if your heart is already full, you can't receive what you need. And that is freedom. Pray with me. God, we know that our hearts can be full of stuff that's awful. Our minds and our hearts can be clouded with regrets and resentment and anger. It can be filled with so many things that we don't have room for your love. Please, God, empower these students to let go of whatever sin is burdening them, that is oppressing them, that is holding them down, and let them be free. Give them the courage to accept your love. Give them the courage to accept your grace and to live completely forgiven. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, amen.